the 67th meeting of the Economy Committee. Some members will be attending this morning's meeting via Starleaf and our witnesses are briefing via Starleaf. The meeting will be broadcast live when open to the public and a recording will be made available on the committee's web pages on the Assembly website. And just to uh, remind members to mute their devices when they aren't speaking. Members will obviously be aware of the very sad passing of our, our former colleague, um, Mr Gordon Dunn, MLA. He was a long-standing member of this committee. Gordon was extremely well-liked by, by all of us, by um, committee staff and members. Um, he was a, a very respected member and he made a very, very valuable contribution to the work of the committee and also to the previous EDI committee. So members of the committee would like to write to Gordon's widow um, to offer her our, our condolences and to their children, Stephen, Andrew and Amy. So our members are happy enough that we would oh, do yes. that. Great. Thank you, Chair. Um, and Members, I would also like to welcome um, to the meeting this morning um, Peter Weir and also Keith Buchanan who are joining the committee. Um, so welcome to your first committee meeting and I would also like to put on record the committee's thanks to, to Mervyn Story and to Christopher Stalford for their contribution to the committee over the past number of months. So um, moving on then to item number one, which is apologies, and we have apologies um, this morning from Keith, and I think everybody else is here. Mr. Chair, technically Gary remains a member of the committee, but won't be attending, obviously, because he's a junior minister. Um, so that will sort itself out in time. Okay. Thanks, uh, Peter. So moving on then to item number two, which is draft minutes. There is a copy of the draft minutes of the meeting held on the 16th of June at page five of our packs. Are members content that those are an accurate reflection of the meeting? Thank you. And then there is a copy of the draft minutes from the concurrent meeting, which was held last Thursday, or sorry, last Wednesday, at page 12 of your pack. Are members content that those are an accurate reflection of the meeting? Content. And then at page 18 of your pack, there is a copy of the draft record of decisions from the meeting held on the 9th of June. Are members content with those? Yes. And then at page three of your table papers, there is a revised copy of the minutes um, from the concurrent meeting to record an apology. So are members content with those? Thank you. And I'm having a little bit of trouble with my packs, so give me just a wee second. Right, we'll move on to item number three, which is... It might be, because of time, it might be worth moving... Straight to the SR. Seven, yeah. So it's okay. on the next page. So, uh, members, we're going to move on to item number seven, which is the SL1, the Further Education Student Support Amendment, etc. EU Exit Regulations NI 2021. There is a clerk's memo at page 131 of your packs. And the SL itself is at page 133. So this statutory rule contains amendments to the Principal Further Education Student Support Regulations, the Further Education Student Support Eligibility Regulations, Northern Ireland 2012. These amendments mean the eligibility <coughs> for home tuition fee charges and student financial support for further education courses um, starting in the academic year 2021-22 will be removed for EU, other EEA and Swiss nationals with the following exceptions. EU, other EEA and Swiss nationals and family members who were living in the UK at the end of the implementation period on the 31st of December 2020, who are therefore covered by the citizens' rights provisions of the withdrawal agreement and therefore have protected rights, though they will be required to have applied to the EU settlement scheme and been granted settled or pre-settled status. 
The status quo continues. Sorry, excuse me. The status quo continues for um, students from the south. They are not required to have been living in the UK at the end of the transition period, and they are not required to have applied for the EU settlement scheme. So the rule is subject to negative resolution procedure. The anticipated date that the rule will come into operation is the 1st of August, and this is the committee's opportunity to consider the policy set out in the SL1, as it's not possible to amend once the rule has been made and laid in the Assembly Business Office. And members will remember that we had officials up to brief us around the, the regulations more generally in respect of the changes that were being made and um, the department took on board some of our criticisms at that point and um, amended the SR just so that it was more understandable. So are members content with the policy direction that has been outlined in the SL1? Thank you. Okay, thank you. Just on that, I mean, I'm content with the policy direction. Do we know in terms of the... And again, I appreciate because I'm just new here, maybe it was dealt with the officials. In terms of the number of potential students this impacts on, do we know sort of ballpark? Sure, we haven't been given a quantum, but we can ask. No, I just, maybe just for, just, I mean, just for the, the point of view of information, because I know it wasn't quite of the same nature on it, but I know recently there was arrangements made in terms of changes in terms of the situation, the way that the Department of Education dealt with borders, for instance, and... Uh, I suppose to be fair, it's a much smaller niche group mm. on it, but I was just curious in terms of what the impact was in terms of numbers. Yep, we can certainly ask. And um, <coughs> Peter, as well, just they have been granted settled or pre settled status, so we know that the settlement scheme closes at the end of the month um, and there are backlogs. So it might just be interesting or useful to get some um, feedback as to the potential impact of people's. Um, Applications not have been dealt with. Check that out. Sure, okay, so moving on then to item number eight, the SL1 Industrial Training Levy Construction Industry Order Northern Ireland 2021. There's a clerk's memo, page 144. The SL1 is at page 145. This statutory rule gives effect to proposals submitted by the board to DFE to continue the levy on employers in the construction industry for the purpose of raising money towards the expenses of the board. The levy is to be imposed in respect of the 57th levy period, commencing on the 1st of September 2021 and ending on the 31st of August 2022. The levy will be assessed for individual employers by the board and will be paid into um, instalments. There will be a right of appeal against an assessment to an industrial tribunal. An employer will be exempt from levy in the 57th period where the relevant earnings are less than £80,000. This rule is subject to negative resolution procedure. The anticipated date that the rule will come into operation is the 31st of August 2021. Members will likely be aware this is an annual SR. So this is the committee's opportunity to consider the policy set out in the SL1 as it's not possible to amend once the rule has been made and laid in the Assembly Business Office. Are members content with the policy direction as outlined? Um, moving on then to item number nine, which is SR 2021-165, the Corporate Insolvency and Governance Act 2020, Coronavirus Amendment of Certain Relevant Periods, number two, Regulations NI 2021. There is a clerk's memo at page 153. The SR itself is at page 154. This statutory rule extends the period during which temporary measures included in the SIG Act which restrict the use of statutory demands and winding up petitions are to apply. 
this rule provides for these measures to continue to apply up until the 30th of September instead of expiring on the 30th of June. Members considered the SL1 at its meeting on the 16th of June and there have been no changes to the policy content since then. So this rule is subject to confirmatory resolution procedure and will come into operation on the 29th of June. The examiner of statutory rules has not yet reported on the rules, so members will be agreeing to the legislation subject to the examiner of statutory rules report. So members of contempt will put the question that the Committee for the Economy has considered the SR 2021-165, the Corporate Insolvency and Governance Act 2020 Coronavirus Amendment of Certain Relevant Periods, Number 2 Regulations, Northern Ireland 2021, and recommends that it be confirmed by the Assembly subject to the Examiner of Statutory Rules Report. Okay, so we are going back then to Chair's business. If we can just go ahead with the briefing, okay. Chair, we come okay. back to that once we've done the briefing, just okay. conscious of time. Okay, so we're going then to item number four, which is our briefing from the Department Tourism NI and Tourism Ireland on tourism recovery. <coughs> there is a clerk's memo at page 56 of your pack. There is a clerk's memo from the meeting of the 10th of March with NIDA at page 61. There is a clerk's memo from the 21st of May meeting with NIDA at page 65. There is a clerk's memo from the Hats and Belfast Met meeting on the 4th of June at page 69. There is a copy of Niall Gibbons' opening statement at page 72. A copy of today's PowerPoint presentation at page 78. A copy of the Hats briefing papers at page 89. And a copy of the Tourism Recovery Action Plan at page 95. So just to highlight to members that links to the videos in the presentations at 46 have been forwarded to members to watch themselves as there are some technical issues with playing them as part of the presentation. So um, I would like to welcome to this morning's meeting Geraldine Fee, who is Tourism Policy and DFE, John McGrillan, who is Chief Executive of Tourism NI, and uh, Niall Gibbons, who is Chief Executive of Tourism Ireland. So if I hand over to yourselves um, to make an opening statement and then we'll, we'll open up to members. But can you see me, okay? Okay. Uh, yeah, yes. Just, can you not access my camera? No. We can't see you, Geraldine. No. Geraldine, you oh. you need to put the camera on. We we have no control over it. It's showing us on. Oh. Um, which is the <laughs> the, the the difficulty. Um. Okay. Well, I mean, in in the interest of time, do we just? Just proceed. Just, yeah, just go ahead. Um, yeah, I, I always have difficulty with Starleaf. Um, oh, there oh. must be a bug or something in my. Oh. Did you get it there? You. It no, seems to be doing something. It, it seems to have wiped our our meeting. Oh no, we've oh, now we go. got your slides. We've got your slides. Okay. Well, look, I'll I'll, I'll just ploy on with the the, sort of the the opening remarks. So, um, good good morning, chair and members. Um. I just wanted to give you a bit, a bit of an overview of the, the journey towards the um, phase two of the Tourism Recovery Action Plan. Um, so as you know, 2019 had been a record-breaking year for tourism and hospitality in Northern Ireland. Uh, the Open returned to Royal Port Rush for the first time since 1951. We welcomed an estimated 5.3 million overnight visitors, and we benefited from more than £1 billion in visitor spend. 2019 was the culmination of a decade of investment by government and industry, 
which led to a 60% increase in visitor numbers and an 89% increase in visitor spend between um, 2009 and 2019. By the end of 2019, the wider tourism and hospitality industry employed approximately 70,000 people across every part of Northern Ireland. So things were looking great until the outbreak of the pandemic in early 2020. And this had an immediate, massive and unprecedented impact on the sector. The pandemic effectively decimated the industry overnight. The impact across the sector can be illustrated through a range of measures. A significantly higher proportion of workers in tourism and hospitality were furloughed. As of April the 30th of this year, just over one quarter of the 90,000 furloughed employments in Northern Ireland were from the accommodation and food services sector. This represents a 52% take-up in accommodation and food services compared with the 12% take-up of eligible employments in Northern Ireland as a whole. Around one in eight of the 6,000 redundancies confirmed to the department by May this year were in the accommodation and food services sector. Looking through another lens, in the year to April this year, there was an estimated 77% decrease in the number of hotel rooms sold compared to the year to April 2020, and a 73% decrease in air passengers flowing through Northern Ireland airports in 2020 compared to 2019. So the impact which the pandemic has had on both the Northern Ireland economy and the tourism sector is clear. Um, turning then to... to um, Sort of the actions taken. As you know, the executive took immediate action to enable businesses to survive the impact of the pandemic. This included implementing a range of financial support schemes to support businesses economy-wide, including those in the tourism and hospitality sector. To highlight some key examples, DfE alone provided over 513 million of financial assistance to over 47,000 applicants via a range of schemes. This included 20.7 million provided to the hospitality sector and 1.2 million for the tourism sector through the £25,000 retail, hospitality, tourism and leisure grant scheme, 50.7 million through the large tourism and hospitality business support scheme, 4 million for the hospitality sector under the web pub scheme, 15.5 million through the CBO. CBRSS, Micro Business Hardship Fund, Limited Com Company Directors Scheme, and 1.8 million through the Bed and Breakfast, Guest House and Guest Accommodation Scheme. A range of support was also provided by other departments, such as the, the DOF uh, Business Relates Scheme for 2021, and a new scheme has been created for 21-22 to ensure that some 29,000 businesses here will have a further rates-free period. Additionally, DOF provided support through the, the localised restrictions support scheme. The Department of Communities supported the, the arts, culture and heritage sectors, which are part of the tourism ecosystem, as did the Department for Infrastructure through the financial support it provided for private bus, coach and tour operators. As we have begun to move into recovery, the Department for the Economy has also brought forward a range of initiatives which provide strategic frameworks for the recovery and establish an ambitious vision for the future economy. Tourism will have an important role to make a report, an important role in these contexts. As you will recall, earlier this year, the Department launched the Economic Recovery Action Plan, which set out a range of decisive actions to kickstart economic recovery. 
Over £32 million worth of funding has been allocated to support tourism under this package. In May, the then Economy Minister also published the ambitious 10x economy document that sets out the vision to deliver a step change in our economy through a decade of innovation. The 10x vision identifies priority clusters where we have the potential to realise transformational growth. It also recognises, however, that achieving this vision is dependent on unlocking the potential demonstrated in Northern Ireland's unique attractiveness and that therefore the tourism sector will be at the forefront of marketing our reputation and attractiveness to the world. The Department has launched the Skills Strategy Consultation containing proposals which will set the strategic direction for the development of flexible skills system for the next decade. Skills development is vital for tourism recovery. The industry needs a workforce capable of meeting its future needs and we need to support business in the sector to attract, develop and retain a highly skilled workforce. The trade and investment for a 10x economy paper which sets out the principles which will shape the development of a trade and investment action plan this year acknowledges the significant impact of the pandemic on tourism and that tourism is an important expert for Northern Ireland. It commits to rebuilding tourism as a key enabler of our international outward-looking trade and investment strategy as we emerge from the pandemic. In recognition, however, of the fact that the tourism sector has been particularly badly impacted, consideration has also been given to the specific needs of the sector. As you know, in April last year, a ministerial-led tourism recovery steering group, supported by a working group, was established to assist in responding to the immediate and devastating impact of COVID. The steering group, chaired by the then Minister, comprised representatives from government departments, Tourism NI, Tourism Ireland, Solus, as well as representatives from the tourism and hospitality industry representative bodies. The supporting working group, chaired by John McGrillan, had representatives from across the tourism industry and was supported by 10 task and finish groups to consider the issues facing specific segments of the industry and recommend interventions required to address these issues. The steering group, supported by the working group, developed phase one of the Tourism Recovery Action Plan, on which I briefed the committee in September 2020. This plan was instrumental in helping the department secure an excess of 10.5 million additional funding to help the tourism and hospitality industry deal with the immediate impact of COVID. It helped in terms of supporting business survivability, improving industry resilience and driving essential visitor demand. John McGrill will give you a further update on this shortly. In February this year, the then Economy Minister tasked the steering and working groups with bringing forward additional proposals to assist the recovery as it starts to move into recovery. Following executive agreement, phase two of the recovery action plan was published on the 20th of May. Its aim is to help tourism businesses build back better, enhance productivity and competitiveness, and meet immediate market requirements while planning and innovating effectively for the future. John McGrillan will talk to you about the plan in more detail, but before he does, I wanted to highlight some key points. Funding has been secured from the Executive for 21-22 for all of the actions committed to in the plan. For those actions which will have financial implications beyond 21-22, Further bids will need to be made in due course, most likely in the context of the anticipated spending review. 
where a commitment is given in the plan to consider scope or lo lobby for, no further commitment has been given to action or funding. Some requests from the tourism and hospitality sector will require more detailed consideration, given their potential to be repercussive across many sectors, and may require consideration in an NI executive or UK context. The plan is a living document and will remain under review, and amendments may be made to include actions required to address challenges which may arise in the months ahead. I'll now hand over to John McGrillan, CEO of Tourism and NI, to provide an update on progress on Phase 1 implementation and an overview of Phase 2. Thank you. John, I think you may be on mute. No? Can you hear me now? Yes. Okay. Well, good morning, everybody. Uh, Australian said, I, I, I'm going to very quickly take you through the work that has been done under, done under phase one of the plan and, and what we're planning to do in the forthcoming year as part of the, the recovery plan that, uh, that you have a copy of. So phase one of the action plan was essentially about helping the tourism and hospitality industry deal with the immediate impact of COVID. And the focus really was on, as Sterling said, supporting business, creating consumer confidence, improving industrial industry resilience and, and driving uh, visitor demand, and there were a vast number of activities undertaken as part of that. Um, but I'll just take you through the key elements of that, and uh, can answer any questions on these if you have have them later on. But first thing we actually did was to create a helpline um, as soon as we it was apparent that the industry was you know, going to close, and we, we provided a large number of businesses with free third-party financial, legal, and HR advice, really to help them through the immediate challenges that they, they were facing. Um, Along with the other jurisdictions in, in the UK, we uh, helped with the, the development and, and then the implementation and rollout of uh, Where Do To Go Safety Mark, and there's about 1,400 businesses now accredited for that. Uh, we ran a, a very targeted marketing campaign, both here in Northern Ireland and in the Republic of Ireland, uh, to drive visitor demand, and, and those were pretty successful. With, and when the industry was open, hotel bookings in the Republic of Ireland went up by about 200% on the same period over the, the previous uh, previous year. In addition to our own campaigns, we provided over £1.1 million in grants to support businesses to do their own marketing um, when, when our campaigns were running, so they could place ads in the media or run their own social media campaigns at the same time. Uh, we provided financial support um, to businesses um, to upgrade some of their visitor experiences and, and indeed to create some new ones um, and really to help meet the post-COVID consumer expectations. So consumers' needs and expectations were changing, so that was to help address that. Uh, we gave uh, a large number of businesses uh, support to revamp their websites uh, in order to secure future business uh, through online bookings. Uh, we provided 80% grants uh, towards the cost of consultancy to help businesses to uh, develop response plans uh, to COVID-19 and we supported a, a vast number of, of tourism businesses to participate on international virtual sales platforms in partnership with Tourism Ireland to help secure business from international tour operators in 2021 and 2022. And in addition to that, we provided support to international tour operators themselves and to destination management companies to make sure that they were programming Northern Ireland as part of their itineraries uh, for uh, their, international their own international consumers in 21 and 2022. 
we provided support to the conference sector. I mean, Belfast was at risk of losing a large number of conferences, which is really important to the city. And, and uh, we provided support to uh, the ICC and, and Visit Belfast to make sure that those conferences were secured uh, and were going to be put into the calendar for a later date. Um, and as Charlene said, in addition to that, there was significant support given by, by other government departments, including the FE. So in parallel with um, delivering uh, that uh, phase of, of the plan, um, over the winter, as Charlene said, we engaged with 10 task and finish groups uh, as part of the work undertaken by the working group uh, to basically inform us as to what the uh, second phase of the plan should look like. And with the rollout of the successful vaccine uh, program, uh, that, the, the, the second phase is now very much focused on recovery uh, and in growth. And the plan, is, as you will have seen, is broken down into eight sort of key themes. And the first of those themes is business continuity. Uh, so it'll probably come as no surprise that many businesses, particularly those who are dependent upon international travel, um, continue to be vulnerable due to on, ongoing costs that they're incurring. Um, and not being able to generate any revenue at this point. Um, and, and they also have incurred significant levels of debt, which are now having to be repaid. So we have continued to provide ongoing legal, financial, and debt management advice to businesses to help them with that. We have a new kickstart program, which we are, which is part of uh, phase two, and that will provide businesses again with access to advice to help them to restructure, to innovate, and, and where possible to enhance their productivity. We're going to continue to support businesses uh, with their with their marketing activity in order to help them increase sales. Um, and we will also continue to, um, I suppose, with the abatement of our certification charges um, until March of, uh, of March 31st of March 2022. Uh, and consideration is currently being given to um, further financial support for coach tour operators and uh, conference corporate meeting sectors who are dependent upon that international business and in due course if we can see there's a clear business case for that we make a submission through the department uh, to the executive uh, for, for support for those particular sectors. The second theme of the plan then is really around uh, creating consumer confidence so all of the research that Niall and his team do in the international marketplace and what we've done here on the island of Ireland will show that um, personal safety is um, the most important factor for people um, as and when you know they're they're choosing to to take a holiday, or indeed to take a holiday at all. Uh, so the continuation of the we're good we're good to go charter mark is really important. So we're continuing to promote that heavily with the industry and to the consumer. And you've probably seen a lot of that about in the local press and, uh, and outdoor places over the last the last number of weeks. Um, but again, that's that's important for not just business at home. It's also important that we have that so now can use that to promote uh, us as a safe destination abroad. Uh, third theme is around stimulating consumer demand. Um, so, as you know, our responsibility is to drive uh, consumer spend on the island of Ireland. So, once again, we have got major campaigns running in the Republic of Ireland and in Northern Ireland. Uh, we have plans to run that over the course of the full year. Uh, so, we have four sets of ads to run, run over the course of the year at different periods of time. Um, now, we'll be doing his own work in GB and he will speak to that. Um, and it's also probably worth saying that we have developed specific campaigns for Belfast and Derry uh, because cities are likely to suffer more than, than the rural areas over the next number of months. Uh, so it's important that we drive as many people as we can to our cities uh, as, as well as, as our more rural areas. 
Um, our corporate marketing fund will continue, so we will continue to support businesses to get out and do their own marketing. Um, and we will support businesses to do that in both Northern Ireland and the Republic of Ireland. And we're talking to Tourism Ireland about doing that in GB as well. Uh, we are going to extend our funding to include the councils, um, the 11 councils. There's Belfast, there's a Derry and Fermanagh Lakelands in order to maximise the investment destination marketing and make sure that we do that all, uh, all on the one brand, the Embrace the Giant Spirit brand. Um, and this plan also includes a series of uh, support actions to help uh, overseas operators build awareness of Northern Ireland with consumers who are wishing to travel next year and beyond. We've also got a, a range of business tourism specific actions in place aimed at rebuilding the conference market in our cities, uh, securing new conference activity, also revitalizing the incentive travel market, which the whole of, of, of the region can benefit from, and building upon the opportunity to tap into the large corporate meetings market, both in the UK and in the Republic of Ireland. The fourth theme is around safeguarding connectivity. Um, you will be aware that over 53% of all tourism spend in any one year typically comes from outside of the island of Ireland. Um, and COVID-19 has really had a catastrophic impact on, on global connectivity. Um, so it's important that um, Niall and his team continue with the cooperative marketing uh, in order to uh, target those cities where there are routes into, into Belfast and the city of Derry airports. Um, and the department have a, a new direct access kickstart scheme currently being developed to support airlines to maintain and enhance the air connectivity between GB and other key airports. And in addition to that, uh, we have committed uh, to working with the industry to lobby for the suspension of short-haul air passenger duty, because that has a really disproportionate impact in Northern Ireland. And naturally, travelling by air is probably the only realistic means for many people to get here if they want to come here and, and take a holiday. Our next theme then is around enhancing the competitiveness of the region. Uh, so what we've seen over the last uh, year or so is that travellers are increasingly seeking to participate in outdoor activities. They want to get out, explore the landscape. Uh, they want to engage with local communities and, and do that through authentic experiences and storytelling. So we need to invest in infrastructure that can provide greater access to those natural assets um, and at the same time ensure those resources um, are, are being managed sustainably. And we've seen large numbers of people, I suppose, going into places like the Mourns, uh, up around the causeway and the spurns and you know it's important that we protect those those natural assets um, and facilitate the visitors at the same time uh, we're progressing with uh, the city and growth deals and they present a really unique opportunity for major investment in tourism infrastructure and, and that will help us build on the investment that Charlie mentioned over the last decade um, and these projects alongside smaller cap capital investment that we are undertaking and, and that DERA are delivering through their £10 million tourism uh, development programme that will help the development of new experiences, help us drive regional dispersion and, and job creation um, in, in, in uh, rural communities. Um, and, and to finish uh, off on, on that theme, um, over the course of this year, we intend to carry out a, a very comprehensive review of uh, the Northern Ireland tourism product infrastructure in order to inform uh, future investment in the development of tourism infrastructure and visitor experiences and we're currently engaged with the departments um, and colleagues in SIB as to how we can ensure that tourism is reflected in, in the future ISNI programme. 
Team six focuses on uh, the capability of businesses. Um, we've got a very wide range of uh, tourism businesses in Northern Ireland from large international operators right through to almost 3,000 small and micro enterprises who have got very different needs. So we're going to put in place a, a very wide program of support um, to allow those businesses to understand the markets, the segments of the markets, understand our best prospects. Um, and we also want to help them understand consumer motivations so that they can develop experiences that can fulfill the expectations of those customers when they, when they get here. Um, and that, that support will come in, 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 a very, in, in various ways. You know, we will be providing one-to-one -one advisory service. We will be providing them the businesses with toolkits. We have completely revamped and relaunched our tourismni.com website. Uh, we have a vast range of seminars and webinars um, and, and business events that uh, are planned for the course of the year to help business fully understand the environment they're working within. Uh, we're also going to help them to develop growth strategies and build their knowledge and management capabilities. And uh, we're going to provide financial support to help them put those strategies in place. And in addition to that, um, we are going to support businesses in adopting new digital technologies. Um, this is to basically help them develop not just their web presence, but develop their processes and productivity and um, help revolutionize the access to digital marketing platforms. Um, and as the sector reopens, probably the most important thing they need to do now is to be able to uh, recruit um, a, a suitable workforce and a workforce with skills that meets their needs and be able to enhance um, the, the workforce and develop their skills as, as, as time progresses. And Jarlene said a little bit about that and um, the, the department are, are, are taking the lead in that area. Uh, what we are doing is we are helping the tourism hospitality businesses to understand DSC's Job Start program so they can engage with that um, and, and raising awareness of that, the breadth and depth of the employment opportunity that the sector can access through that scheme. Uh, and we're working closely with the HATS network to ensure that, you know, working in partnership with different government departments and ourselves, that uh, they can start to build. Um, I suppose the, the communication around the attractiveness of the, of the industry um, and, and the benefits that people can have uh, from, from working within the sector in the future. And the final theme then is around creating a, a supportive policy environment. Um, and it's, it's been quite some time since um, our legislation has been reviewed or the schemes that we uh, provide our funding under have been reviewed. And Consumer preferences and expectations have changed significantly, and the needs of the industry has changed significantly uh, since since that was last developed. Uh, so it's important that we've got a fit for purpose legislative framework going forward, um, and, and we can provide the type of support that visitors expect uh, and that industry needs as we move forward. Part of that is a commitment to develop a new tourism strategy to maximize Northern Ireland's tourism potential. Um, and, and there has to be a, a, a unified focus on sustainability and regeneration as part of that. Uh, the rest of the globe are looking at this. Uh, this is where consumers are, are moving to. So the industry needs to be much more focused on delivering a more sustainable, economic, social, um, and environmental set of outcomes uh, as, as we move forward. Um, so, I mean, we're confident that that's a, a broad package of support. Um, and if we can all work together in partnership by the industry, ourselves, Tourism Ireland, councils, and other uh, government departments, and most importantly, the industry, you know, we think we are we, we can build a platform for recovery over the next 12 months. So that's, that's me, Chairman. Thank you.
Niall, are we handing over to you? Yep. Not yet. That's great. Good morning, uh, everybody. Good morning, Chair, uh, and thank you for the opportunity to speak to you today. Uh, for those who haven't met me before, Niall Gibbons is my name, the Chief Executive of Tourism Ireland, and our role is to promote uh, Northern Ireland and the island of Ireland, indeed, in all the markets around the globe overseas. Um, th there's one figure that sort of sums up really how difficult it gets. Um, in 2019, 1.5 billion people took trips around the globe, spending 1.7 trillion US dollars and the industry employed 385 million people whose lives have been turned upside down. Uh, it's impossible to go into everything this morning, but I'll make a few key points. Um, from the outset, Tourism Ireland has been monitoring the global impact of COVID-19 in the face of fundamental changes facing our industry. We knew it would be vital to have a comprehensive understanding of the changed consumer and the new marketplace. We've therefore commissioned our largest ever program of international research in our major markets, and the insights that we're gaining from the research are helpful to ensuring that our promotional plan is tightly targeted and as powerfully motivational as it possibly can be in order to drive a strong recovery as quickly as possible. It'll continue to play a very valuable planning input for Tourism Ireland as the situation improves. We've carried out approximately seven waves in our top four markets, which are Great Britain, the United States, France and Germany. We're currently out uh, researching in our top 10 markets and the results of that will be available in the second week of July. What are the common characteristics we're learning over the last year? Well, first of all, the fundamental desire to travel remains. Secondly, closer to home markets are likely to be first to recover. Wholesome reconnection is a recurring theme. People have become very disconnected over the last 14 months. Visiting friends and relatives, as well as destinations which are familiar, are the holidays most likely to be considered first. And also our competitive position vis-a-vis -vis other destinations has deteriorated over the last 12 months. The second point I'll make is in relation to Brexit, EU exit. Now, up until the outbreak and spread of COVID-19, Brexit had been dominating all of this uncertainties with overseas tourism. And Tourism Ireland had been tracking the impact of the UK's decision to leave the European Union since 2016 on the consumer. However, our most recent wave of research in March examined current consumer sentiment regarding Brexit. And amongst those surveyed in Great Britain, Brexit was off radar given that COVID-19 had restricted travel Therefore, holidays perceived as having very little bearing on holiday planning. There was mixed understanding about the impact of Brexit, but little engagement. However, some concerns around the practicalities of passports, queues, touring and phone roaming charges came to mind amongst respondent when respondents when discussing post-Brexit travel. Just under half the outbound holidaymakers surveyed in Britain were aware of the common travel area. However, only one-fifth knew what it actually was. And this could be a real advantage to us as we head towards recovery. Also, new requirements for pet passports and the need for a green card for those driving their own car in the European Union could prove to be a future dampener when travel resumes. Also, recent news that visitors from mainland Europe to Northern Ireland and the UK as a whole will require a passport from the 1st of October is a serious concern given that many visitors from mainland Europe with a national ID card other than a passport and this is the potential to impact negatively on overseas tourism to Northern Ireland, particularly in the area of coach business. Throughout the pandemic, Tourism Ireland has identified three key themes which need to be addressed through the course of recovery. They're first of all, consumers' motivation to travel, and I've talked about a research programme already in respect of that. The second is restoration of connectivity. The airline industry has been hit particularly hard by the crisis, and the island of Ireland has found itself in a competitive situation for air routes with no guarantee with regard which routes will operate. Support will be required to build demand and increase the viability of new and existing routes. 
Thirdly, retaining a strong internationally appealing industry, the overseas travel trade have long been loyal supporters of Northern Ireland and the island of Ireland. However, we're now facing higher levels of competition than ever before. The excellent relationships we, which we enjoy with the overseas travel trade are vital to our long-term success and will need to continue to invest to create the demand that will support the product on the ground. The fourth point that I'll make is just in relation to health regulations. And while the health services have done a terrific job over the last 12 to 15 months, as we head towards recovery, we have to be conscious that England, Scotland, Wales, Northern Ireland and Ireland all have different regulations in place, which can make it confusing for the consumer. And the more that these can be calibrated, particularly across the island of Ireland, will make it easy as we head towards the reopening. If we can move on to the next slide to talk a little bit about promotional campaigns. Now, as you can imagine, over the past year, we've done a lot of non-paid type activity and the strength and size and depth of our digital platforms can be seen in the fact that on our Fill Your Heart with Ireland campaign over the last 12 months, we had 1.8 billion, that's a billion impressions uh, on Facebook. However, now, as we moved into um, reopening phase, we have more dedicated campaigns and I'll just run through a few of these. In relation to Great Britain, for Northern Ireland particularly, phase one of a dedicated campaign to promote Northern Ireland and GB has been underway since February. The phase has been out warming up potential GB holidaymakers, sharing aspirational and inspiring content about Northern Ireland. Tourism Ireland's aim is to keep Northern Ireland top of mind. And some examples of our activity include Adrian Dunbar's Coastal Ireland. About 2 million people across Great Britain tuned in to see the second episode of a two-part series called Coastal Ireland, aired on Channel 5. The series was fronted by Fermanagh actor and Line of Duty star Adrian Dunbar and was um, supported by Tourism Ireland. And viewers saw such places like the Giants Causeway, Carrick Reed Rope Bridge, Mount Stewart House and Gardens and the Moor Mountains. Secondly, Tourism Ireland and Tourism Northern Ireland hosted a virtual showcase event for the influential GB travel trade in March, bringing some of the many wonderful Embrace the Giants spirit experiences to life. We also have a promotion with The Guardian, a major digital campaign which went live on the 31st of March, reaching an estimated 4.7 million people. Aiming to inspire nostalgia and a desire for a future trip to Northern Ireland, it offered genuinely interesting, entertaining and informative content to readers of The Guardian. And a key element of the campaign involved two new videos showcasing what Northern Ireland has to offer through the lens of two of our celebrities. One, Saoirse Monica Jackson, best known for portraying Erin Quinn in Derry Girls, and broadcaster Eamon, Holm, Eamon Holmes, who fronted the videos. The partnership also includes bespoke Northern Ireland page on the Guardian website, online ads, and the lifestyle and travel section of the Guardian, and website to drive readers to the bespoke page. Um, we're also always on on social media. That was a key feature that came through on dedicated Northern Ireland research that we've done. And we're running parallel to the partnership with The Guardian. Tourism Ireland has upweighted its social media activity with messages designed to keep Northern Ireland top of mind when the time is right. Ongoing outreach through the Great Britain and travel lifestyle media also as we've upweighted our publicity activity in this space. Since Northern Ireland reopened to GB holidaymakers, we've been inviting influential travel and lifestyle journalists to visit. And just in the last month alone, in June, we've had Travel Weekly magazine visit the Causeway Coastal Route, the Times visit Derry Londonderry, the Causeway Coastal Route for Manor and Belfast, the Independent visit the Causeway Coastal Route, the Scotsman in, Frank in Strang Strangford Lock at Belfast, and People's Friend magazine in, down, in the down, uh, North, North down, down Coast, and we have others coming in July as well. Another significant element of investment over the last year has been the complete redevelopment of the Ireland.com suite of websites, and there are now 33 market sites in 30 different countries and 11 languages ready to serve our new customers. 
We're also launching, just launched a new £3 million promotional campaign to build anticipation for holidays this summer. It involved a major digital video piece called Let's Get Back to Ireland, and it's being promoted via online video platforms on YouTube, social media, mobile devices, as well as connected TV in nine different markets, including Great Britain, the United States, Germany, France, Spain, Italy, Netherlands, Nordic markets, and also in Switzerland. Now, as we move forward to a greater reopening phase, we have a new campaign called Green Button, which will be launching in a larger number of uh, markets. And the concept involves creating a commitment to travel here by pressing the green button, being the universal colour of go. And the filming for that completed in May in locations in Northern Ireland included the Giants Causeway, Harry Shack Restaurant in Port Stewart, Belfast City Hall, Titanic Belfast, and the Glass of Thrones installations in uh, Belfast also. And that will be airing on multiple channels such as TV, digital uh, and out of home. I'm afraid our videos don't play properly across this platform. They won't do us justice, but they have been made available to you online. We're delighted with the close working collaboration that we have with our team, with John and Invest Northern Ireland, and Tourism Northern Ireland, I should say, as well. We've had many virtual trade platforms recently. In June, for example, nine Tourism, Tourism Northern Ireland organisations attended our outdoor activities workshop, really well attended from North Antrim, County Down, Fermanagh, Belfast. We also had 10 Northern Ireland tourism organisations join our city fair online as well in conjunction with the European Tour Operators Association. In March, our Embrace the Giant Spirit Virtual Expo in conjunction with Tourism Northern Ireland had 38 tourism companies from Northern Ireland engaged with over 1,200 operators across the United States and Canada. We've had seven Northern Ireland tourism organisations join our Ireland Meets the Middle East, meeting 300 plus agents from across uh, the likes of Qatar, Kuwait, Saudi Arabia, Turkey and the UAE. And also we had eight Northern Ireland tourism organisations recently meet Ireland 2021 in Italy. So we're really pleased with the support that we've got from the industry. And like John said, I think collaboration will, key, will be key as we head towards recovery. Uh, there's choppy waters out there, but certainly brighter days ahead. And I'm delighted to have the opportunity to update you this morning. And thank you for that. And happy to take any questions, comments or observations that people may have. Thank you very much indeed, Chair. Thank you all three of you for the briefing. You've been really helpful, um, really comprehensive in terms of the work that's going on. Uh, as Geraldine, you outlined at the beginning in relation to the supports that have been put in place to date have been really important to, to businesses in terms of you know, just keeping the lights on and, and keeping people um, in business, I suppose, to be able to recover at some point, hopefully. Uh, just in relation to the number of um, supports that you have outlined, and, and particularly, John, the, the list of um, themes that you're working through in terms of the tourism recovery plan and some of the, the schemes that are being put in place, just to, if you can maybe just speak to how those have been designed in partnership with business to make sure that, and obviously you, you are the, the tourism body, but to make sure that they are um, what what businesses are asking for and what they need, and, and just I'm conscious of last I think it was September October time there was um, a lot of funding allocated to particular programs and um, themes at that point in time which couldn't then be delivered because of um, restrictions being reimposed. So just if there's work that is currently being done around contingency, because obviously timing is going to be really important in terms of um, you know, when the schemes actually kick in to be most effective uh, for businesses. So if you maybe could just speak to those uh, two points first of all, and then I just have a couple of others before I hand over to other members. Okay, sure. So, um... To, to, to comment then on, on, the, on the design of the programmes, I, I suppose what we did in the first instance was 
as I said, we had engaged through 10 different um, task and finish groups to identify the specific needs of different elements of the, of the industry. And as a result of that, you know, we, we, we've come up with a plan. So the plan has been very much informed by the industry itself. And um, we are in the process now of, but some of these schemes are already in place. So we will roll out those schemes which are in place and which have proved to be, proved to be uh, successful. We will continue with those. The others which we're currently developing, we are doing that in collaboration with uh, the Northern Tourism uh, Alliance and with local councils as well, because they've got a really good sense of you know, what the needs are for the, particularly the smaller and micro enterprises in the sector that they're with. Um, and we have got a number, we have our, our own team of people who engages specifically um, with, with different parts of the industry who, who are feeding into this process in collaboration with them. So I would like to think that the support program that we will put in place will be very much um, aligned with, with the needs as industry see it. Um, we, we also have done surveys um, through our research and insights team to identify you know, what businesses feel those needs are. And interestingly, the one that came out you know, highest was the need to understand digital technology, utilize new digital technologies and to enhance people's online uh, presence. And the second most important element coming through from them was the marketing support, which we've been given. Um, and we have significantly increased the budget available this year to support businesses to get out um, and market alongside us. And the first tranche of support that we've, um, we've distributed, I think the demand was about 1.3 million quid. So businesses are really active and out there in the marketplace. Just to say a little bit about what we did then um, during what, what you might want to call a hiatus last year when things could not get done. I mean, a lot of the marketing uh, content uh, which we developed, which councils have developed, and which businesses themselves developed was developed during that period of time. So what we were essentially doing was recognizing that we were not likely to be able to run with a number of these programs until things reopened, but a lot of the preparatory work had already been done. So once, um, they, once the industry opened up again and consumers were allowed to, to go out and book and, and to visit and stay, um, those campaigns were, were all ready to run. Um, we had a capital program uh, in order to help people enhance their the, the visitor attractions. Um, that program has been delivered, so a lot of the attractions are better placed to meet the needs of the consumer uh, over the course of the summer than, than they were last year. Um, and it's, we also have the voucher scheme uh, up and ready to run. So basically, we don't want to run that over the summer because there's no point in just this, you know subsidising demand, which is already there. The purpose of that scheme is really to create new demand when things start to, to level off and try to ensure that we have got people coming through the doors um, in, in autumn and early winter. Uh, but that scheme's all ready to roll. So um, a, a lot of what we've done was um, making sure that we had the plans in place and we will continue to do that this year because as you rightly say, we're not exactly clear as to what is down the road. So there may be bumps in the road, but I'm pretty confident that we'll be in a position to address those as and when they come along. Chair, if I could, there were challenges undoubtedly um, created by the stop-start nature of, of the restrictions last year, but we work closely with, with the the, 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 the tourism bodies to ensure that um, we could show as much flexibility as was possible within one year budgets. 
and that certainly everyone took a very proactive approach in trying to front load the preparatory work to ensure that you know any um, any unusable spend within the financial year was minimised. Thanks for that, and that is useful to get a sense of the work that was going on behind the scenes in preparation for when uh, things could open up again, and, and that that is uh, reassuring as well. John, can I maybe just ask you to give us a wee bit more detail in relation to the tourism voucher? We haven't had a great deal of detail, I guess, beyond the headline stuff, so it might just be useful if you could give us a wee bit. Yeah, well, I'll give you as much as I can, because I'm not over all the detail of it myself, but I can get someone mm -hmm. specifically to brief you on that. But essentially, at this point in time, we have a £2 million budget, um, and the idea was that we would, the, I mean, the voucher scheme would be used to generate demand when demand might be you know starting to tail off so the idea is is that um you you will um so it, it's it's a it will operate on a first come first serve basis and um, so we will have a portal you can apply for a voucher and um, once you're in receipt of that voucher you can then uh, go and you can stay uh, for two nights and claim back um, up to 100%, up to well, 50% up to 100 pounds on on a two night stay. And um, I suppose I, I want to be clear. You know, there, there seems to be a sort of sense around that there's a voucher for every household in Northern Ireland, uh, because people are getting this mixed up slightly with the with the other voucher, the high street voucher. That that is not the case. Um, it'll, 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 we will have to operate this and work within the budget that's available to us. Um, but essentially, what you need to do then is to go online after you've had your break you go you go online and you claim that money back and we, we will uh, we will recompense people then on, on the basis of the voucher that they've that they've had. Okay. Um thanks for that. That that's useful to, to know. Um we will maybe pick up the department around some of that as well. So just thanks for the background uh, on that. And then just I have a question I, and I guess it's probably looking forward beyond this year in terms of the international market and stimulating that recovery that, that really benefits right across the north from international visitors. There's really well established globally recognised brands across the island of Ireland that have a record in attracting visitors. So as part of planning for the recovery, is, is it time to look at extending the Wild Atlantic Way up to the Causeway Coastal route, joining those up? Ireland's ancient east and the hidden heartlands to you know provide a really joined up offering right across the island. Is that something that is being looked at as part of the recovery planning? Is that is that question to be sure? To yourself or to Niall? Yeah, okay. Well um, I mean what what we are, are, are currently doing in in, in partnership with, with uh, Tourism Ireland is to make is making sure that various parts of Northern Ireland are programmed. With the, the international tour operators, um, and there can be a whole range of itineraries that would take place. So what we seek to do is to make sure that when people are coming onto the island of Ireland, that you know they they take time and they spend part of that time in Northern Ireland. If that means coming via the Wild Atlantic Way into Derry Stroke, Londonderry, and into the Causeway and down to Belfast, or coming up uh, through Ireland's ancient east and into Northern Ireland and coming that route. I think what is important is, is that the itineraries that we put together and the descriptions of the itineraries make sense to the consumer who are purchasing those, irrespective of what part of the island it's on or what the overall, you know, what, what the, the experience brand here might be. But um, now I might want to say a little bit more than that, but um, I think it's fair to say that we do work 
in close collaboration um, ourselves, Bolsha Ireland and, and Tour uh, Tourism Ireland to make sure we maximise the opportunity to increase the spend and the, I suppose, the regional distribution of visitors when they come here. Yeah, thanks uh, for the opportunity and, uh, and just to emphasise that point, we do work very closely together and I think in terms of recovery on the international stage, it's going to be a, an exceptionally competitive marketplace and what we will be aiming to do is to bring a very strong campaign, that green button campaign, uh, to make sure that we punch above the weight of all other destinations that will be out there doing the same. Just to give you a sense of what's happening, I mean, New York City alone will be spending $30 million. London will be send, spending £6 million just in the domestic market alone. Our colleagues in Fulch Ireland here domestic will be spending €6 million Euros on the island of Ireland. So we will be pushing a very strong Ireland message out there uh, to compete against other destinations. But within that, uh, I think it's about how do you bring that to life? And that's where the regional destinations come into that. Uh, the more joined up we can be, the better. Uh, and I know that John talks to his colleague uh, Paul Kelly in Fulch Ireland regularly on this matter too. So it's important to reference that the international consumer doesn't really recognise borders. It's about where the best experience is going to be. Uh, but I think we've come on leaps and bounds from where we are, where we were, I should say, maybe a decade ago in terms of the international offering in the marketplace now. Yeah, and I, I guess that would just be the, where I would be coming from at on it is that they, you know, people coming to Ireland don't recognise there, there's a difference between North and South necessarily in terms of, of uh, when they're visiting and, and where we have those brands that are so successful, we should be maximising them to benefit right across the island. Um, and I guess you just raised it, um, or you touched on my final point there, which is, I guess, the cooperation between the agencies and the department to the departments, I suppose, as well. Um, to be able to deliver as most effectively as possible in all of these plans. But just why is that partnership currently working, and, and is there is there better uh, partnership that could be, or is it working well? From our perspective, um, it, it's working very well. We have regular meetings between the agencies uh, at least quarterly. We have regular meetings with both departments, North and South, quarterly. So from a policy and implementation perspective, it's very, very good. Uh, things can always be better. Our, our business really, remember, is about driving economic business. It's about uh, sustaining jobs uh, and we have a huge amount of work to be done. Um, so, so there's no room for, for differences now as we move forward towards the recovery phase. Um, I think at the end of the day, for us, it's about reminding ourselves what we're trying to do here. We're trying to encourage people to come uh, to our destination rather than go somewhere else. We know that there'll be significant pent-up demand to return to travel at the time of right, um, and we've got a really, really important role to play in getting people back to work. Yeah, I mean, I, I would say to her that I think a collaboration is, is very good. I mean, a good example of the collaboration is when last summer, rather than uh, tourism Northern Ireland doing consumer sentiment analysis in the Republic of Ireland and Northern Ireland for our own benefit and Fulton Ireland doing exactly the same thing. We basically sort of pooled our resources and, and, and we did one piece of research that met both our needs. So, you know, was rather than spending want the same money twice to do the same, get the same result, we, we, we pooled our resources and utilised um, our, our, our collective Sort of um, capabilities to uh, get the get the research that we require to support our industry. So, I mean, that, that saved us very considerable sums of money. So, I, I think it I think it does work well. Where we we do compete and and we recognise that. Um, but there are times when it does make sense for us to work collaboratively, especially when we're working with Nile and this team in the international marketplace. That does make that does make sense. And through the chair, just to emphasize two other examples that I should have said from our perspective. We have one website, Ireland.com, 
um, which has 33 websites in uh, 12 different markets abroad in different languages, I should say. And, you know, when you just think about it, I mean, that's, that's a, 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 an enormous reservoir of material for international consumers. One website that services the whole island of Ireland and our social media presence connected with that uh, makes us one of the largest tourist boards in the world. And that's where, you know, together we're stronger. We also have a, web, a, a database of 23,000 international media, which is available to both tourist boards here on the island in relation to putting together some of the best itineraries, which are shared in many, many senses. So all those journalists that we bring internationally in a normal year, and we look forward to doing so again in 2021 and beyond, uh, is something that's there for the benefit of everybody across the whole island of Ireland. And Chair, just to add from a departmental perspective, I mean, we, we have close working relationships with, with, with both of the bodies, um, but also we have regular engagement with our counterpart policy colleagues um, in the Republic, but also in the, the other devolved administrations, and that has really come to the fore during the pandemic. Uh, we are also giving consideration as to the wider um, collaborative structures which exist to inform policy making um, and engagement with the industry and we're, we're looking at that um, and we'll be bringing forward proposals for, for the Minister in coming weeks. I mean I think if there was any, any upside at all to the pandemic it was the collaborative working between government and industry uh, and, and all of the relevant bodies. I mean you know I mean I'm not, not for any moment saying that it was perfect but it's certainly um, it certainly did come to the fore and there was a real willingness and I think um, everything benefited from that. Yeah, I would agree with that, Geraldine, and I think it's something that we, we should seek to build on if we can. So um, we'll look forward to some update in, in respect of that in, in the time ahead. Um, I, Mike, you're next in. Well, Chair, thank you very much. Well, good morning, Geraldine, John and Nyland. Thanks for your engagement. If, if I may, a question for each of you. Um, Geraldine, a couple of weeks ago we heard from the Hospitality and Tourism Skills uh, body and Kieran O'Neill of, of the Bishopgate Hotel said he had asked a grammar school if he could come in and talk to pupils about a career in hospitality and that request was declined with the clear implication that a career in hospitality was beneath uh, grammar school pupils, which seems to be consistent with a conclusion from the, the fair start team who reported for the Department of Education that there's a lack of parity of esteem and understanding between vocational and academic education. So the question is, are you aware of this? And if so, what's the plan? Okay. Well, um, yes, we, we are aware of there being um, some perceptions around working in the tourism and hospitality sector. Um, we're also aware of the, the clear need to make inroads with 14 to 19 year olds and the important role which schools will play in relation to that. Um, in, in terms of the plan, um, it's not my policy lead that actually lies in another part of DFA, but we have close engagement with them and are very much um, aware of the contribution which HATS have made in this area. The skills and strategy consultation will, will flush out the actions which need to be taken. And as you may be aware, it's intended under, assuming that the, the NI Skills Council is, is established as, as proposed to set up a, um, a skills subgroup for that, which will 
report report or sorry a skills subgroup for this sector which will report to the the skills council so there there are four going to be set up to allow these issues to be examined but as a as a first step in all of that i think it's on the 1st of july there's going to be a meeting between um ourselves representatives from nita the hotels federation tourism northern ireland and the hats network with my skills colleague to explore the the issues which the sector are experiencing and to see how that can be that input can be fed back through the skills consultation thanks geraldine that, that's useful john for you on, on the theme of enhancing the skills of the workforce i was struck by the breadth of services that the that, that tourism ni have been trying to supply to to clients over the course of the pandemic so i guess the question is have you been able to get the skill sets and the resources in the, in the numbers you need? We, we as an organisation ourselves? Yeah. Um, I suppose we do that in two different ways, Mike. I mean, there, we don't necessarily have all the skills that we require in-house. Um, so what we have in place is what's called a, um, it's like a management framework or a, a call-off service where we have got a wide range of people with a very wide level of expertise so we can draw down from that framework contract that we have, this managed service, as and when we recognise, you know, the specific requirements of, of a cohort of businesses or where we're trying to provide support or advice right across, um, right across the industry or where we're providing advice on a one-to-one -one basis. So we, we have, a, I suppose, a different approach depending upon what it is that we're trying to do. There are certain areas where we will have very specific expertise where we can provide that support ourselves, but it wouldn't be financially viable or make sense for us to have all of those skills retained in-house. So we, we basically purchase those skills in as and when required in order to make sure we're meeting the needs of industry. So you're flexible? Yes, we're very flexible in that regard. And I mean, one, one of the main sources of advice is um, if, if, you, if you've ever had time to take a look at tourismni.com, just the sheer breadth of the volume of support there is on that uh, for specific sectors of industry that you know we have either developed or we have engaged with other organisations to help develop in our path, uh, so that industry is well informed as to you know how they how they deal with specific issues that they might be facing. Okay, thanks, thanks, John. Now, can I ask you about golf tourism because I understand the the average daily spend in Northern Ireland uh, from a tourist is sixty three pounds sterling. Um, but when you get to golfers, for every pound they spend on green fees, they spend at least another four uh, elsewhere. So if you, if you have a tour, tourist coming, uh, spending the average over four days, they'll spend about 250 pounds. But a golfer over the same period who plays Royal County Down and Royal Port Rush, paying the rack rate green fees, is going to spend 10 times that. So is, is there a category of tourists with such deep pockets, or is, are they number one? Um, it, it's fair to say that they're right up there in the uh, in, in the Premiership and, and near the top, and it's a, a cornerstone of our strategy and has been. And I think as we head into the, the next decade and we look towards recovery, I think golf will be uh, one of a number of things that will be at the forefront of it. We know, for example, that um, the Ryder Cup is coming to Ireland again. Uh, we'd be very hopeful that we see the Open coming. And it isn't always about the golf, by the way. It's also about the fact that you get to broadcast to a whole international audience. I think it was about 600 million people around the Open itself in 2019, a phenomenal showcase. 
I think we've got an amazing opportunity now and platforms around the world to build on our reputation, which is already very good, by the way. So not just about the golf, but also at the 19th hole, it's about enjoying yourself. I mean, our relationships that we have internationally can be exploited here as well. So we have a very strong relationship with the likes of the Golf Channel, Golf Digest. And just to put Golf Digest in perspective, we have, for example, in the top 100 golf courses in the world, typically had about 10, and we have two in the top 10, uh, which happen to be Royal Portrush and Royal County Downs. So I think we're well positioned to capitalise on that, and it'll certainly be one of the key cornerstones of recovery in the next number of years. Thanks, Niall. F just fin final thought of a May. Coach operators from Europe coming into the south, then travelling north. Uh, people on the coach need a passport. Coming the other way, they need an identity card. Is it true that some of these coach operators are thinking of, of just limiting their, their stay to the south because of this difficulty? There's two aspects to it that we're picking up. So, so essentially, up until the 1st of October this year, um, you, you can enter into um, Ireland and the UK on a national identity card. So take, for example, if you're coming from Germany uh, or Spain or Italy or France. Uh, however, from the 1st of October, we've been informed that if people want to enter the UK, they'll need a passport. So I mean, about 20, we, we reckon about 25% of people, say in Germany who travel, do so on a national identity card, and that will pose issues uh, in relation to coach travel that would normally come via the Republic of Ireland. Um, if you're coming the other way, uh, it doesn't actually make any difference. Um, but in relation to school tours, it's a particular niche. I know our colleagues in Britain are very concerned about it, and they have made representations to the Home Office. And I think, uh, I think this would have a, a, a bad impact, actually, in relation to Northern Ireland, uh, particularly from travellers from mainland Europe, of whom over 90% enter Northern Ireland via the Republic of Ireland. Uh, OK, that's very useful. Thanks, Nat. And thank you, Chair. Thanks, Mike. Sinead? Uh, thank you very much, um, everybody, for your um, briefing this morning. And I don't think members of, of the committee will be able to give your briefing actually justice. I think we would probably need an entire morning um, to interrogate some of, of the briefings, because um, I have multiple questions, but I'm going to try and keep them fairly succinct. <laughs> which is not like me, but um, uh, the, the, the area uh, I think, Niall, that I'm concerned about is, is that one of the ones that you highlighted. It's about that motivation to travel uh, and also the, the different health regulations, particularly within the, the two islands here. Uh, and also, I, I'm really concerned that that might even be becoming uh, more difficult uh, as Ireland picks up the green EU passport uh, uh, and the implications that that will have in quarantine, self-isolation, uh, and uh, and additional testing, perhaps maybe with with uh, within the UK, are you um, are you concerned about that um, in how we attract visitors here? Yeah, I think I need to just um, um, couch my, my answer in that this is not a criticism of health authorities because they've had to deal with the most un unreal, awful situation over the last 15 months. But it's in the, in the context of heading towards recovery as things start to liberalise and where the practical examples start to come to the forefront. So, for example, Ireland, as in the Republic of Ireland, is due to reopen to international travel on the 19th of July. Uh, the intention that it will reopen with the EU COVID digital certificate, uh, which will allow people amongst the 27-member bloc travel um, as long as they've been fully vaccinated. But they can also travel as long as they've had a, a PCR test if they're not unvaccinated. And that'll be a QR code on the phone. Now, I mean, from our perspective here across the island of Ireland, we would like to see that extended to GB in North America. Uh, I think the intention of the Irish government is to do that. 
Um, that, 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 that just proposes technical issues that need to be resolved. But obviously what's happening now is that that announcement has been made and the operators abroad are asking a lot of questions as to how it will work, how it will work in the airports, etc. So, so these are questions that are starting to arise. And when people start to arrive from North America, for example, in the third week of July, what will be the regulations with regard to them entering Northern Ireland if they're coming as part of an all-island tour? So there are questions that are just unanswered at the moment. And confidence is key here. And one recent example that we saw was when the green list was operating from England and Portugal seemed to be the, the, the shining star for the summer. And a lot of consumers went in good faith and went on to the amber list and people got caught trying to get home at four o'clock in the morning. And that generated a lot of concern amongst consumers as to, you know, people do not want to get caught abroad. They do not want to get quarantined and they want to be able to enjoy themselves to the extent that you can. It's not going to be a normal travel environment like we had in 2019. But I think anything that we can do to harmonize the, 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 the regulations and regimes between both parts of the island would be very helpful from a tourism perspective. Okay. Um, Chair, if I could maybe um, give a, a, a bit further detail on that. As you know, uh, the UK government established four wide-ranging reviews, uh, one on social distancing, one on large events, and one on international travel, and another on COVID status certification. Now, we, we are aware that um, there's a, a Northern, well, we're part of a Northern Ireland um, group of departmental officials, which is monitoring the um, outcomes for those reviews and looking at um, Northern Ireland um, issues in that context. Um, Department of Health have advised that you know they're very alert to the positive role which COVID status certification can have in facilitating um, safe international travel and they, they are working with UK colleagues to ensure a common approach and solution across the, the, the UK four nations also taking account of emerging uh, World Health Organization and EU standards. So we understand that um, proposals are to be made to UKG and the, the, the DAs later this week. So we're watching those with keen interest because um, we've very much been flagging the issue of um, international travel and also the, the particular challenges which are presented by uh, north-south travel when tourists um, enter the island through through, uh, through the Republic. So I, I would say that we just have to keep an eye on what the developments are that might emerge later this week, but I have no further information on what they might be. Thanks for that. Well, that, well that's interesting, the fact that we're, we're going to um, maybe at least have a wee bit of clarity one way or another uh, towards the end of this week, because uh, I know that we've been asked in my, you know, my own constituency office uh, quite a bit about that. I'll come back if there's any time later for another question, if that's okay, Chair. Yep, thanks, Sinead. Um, can we bring Claire into the spotlight, please? Uh, thank you, Chair. Um, good morning, everyone. Really interesting uh, presentation. Um, tourism is something that I'm interested in, not least because I represent in a constituency where we probably have some of the best tourism opportunities you know, across the island of Ireland, not least in Northern Ireland. Um, I, I suppose it's really to build on the point that Mike was making around the professionalisation of hospitality-related jobs. And I think we did lose that to an extent when we lost the Catering College in Port Rush. Um, and that's not to say that you know jobs within hospitality can't attract big salaries and be a, a career pro progression for many who enter into that. So I think you know, Mike does make an 
important point about how we encourage younger people to do that. Um, I, I think also how we provide um, the opportunities for people to go into a career in, uh, in hospitality, whether that's catering or, or otherwise. You know, I, I know there are some people within my own constituency who are looking at developing uh, uh, cookery schools um, just to kind of um, really exploit that opportunity that we have around food and drink tourism here in Northern Ireland. So I'd be keen to hear your, your thoughts on that. Um, Case Causeway is an initiative that seems to stretch the Causeway coast around towards uh, Belfast. Um, and, you know, I, I do think it's it's one of the reasons why people come to Northern Ireland, um, as well as, the, you know, the, all, all the other um, attributes as well. So I'd be keen to hear your views on that. And, and just a second comment, and I suppose in, in and around the issues related to the protocol and Brexit, um, I've been dealing with a lot of issues, uh, strangely, this week in relation to the PET passport. Now, I know the, the, the checks... Um, not going to be enforced until around the 1st of October, but it is giving, you know, cause for concern to, to people, you know, coming both east, west, west, east. I'm not sure what, what, where the checks exactly are happening. But, um, you know, is this something that can be worked through that means that if you are coming in and out of Northern Ireland, you won't be disadvantaged by the other region of the United Kingdom? And people do like to travel with their pets, you know. If, if we're going to be encouraging more vacations, then it's those opportunities that I think people will be looking toward, and I don't think it's anything that we should be disadvantaged here. So just your thoughts. Thank you. Okay. Um, well, I, I will start, Claire, and then Charlie, and, and now I might wish to add. Um, but, so I'm a dog owner, and we, we would often take our, 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 our dog on holiday. Um, and I think increasingly that is, I mean, that is an increasing trend. Uh, an increasing sector of the market and in fact for many places that provide dog friendly accommodation those are the ones who sell first so anything that makes it more difficult or more expensive for people to travel from GB to Northern Ireland with their pet um, is, is, is unhelpful because um, it, it will add significant cost and as I understand it if you, you, know, if you get the, the veterinary certificate it, it only lasts for a period of four months so if you were to come once or twice you know, you would have to do that twice. So it's it's an impact, it, you know, it impacts upon pet owners, it impacts upon people who have got assistance dogs. And um, I mean, we've got a very successful Ulster dog show um, and uh, at the end of the season in, uh, in at, at Balmoral. Um, and again, I mean, the organisers of that have raised an issue with us because they would get significant numbers of people typically come over from Scotland and from the north of England to, to show with that particular show. So this is an issue that we have raised. I know with journeying uh, and and journeying through sort of third channels back to uh, through the departments to the, the government is, is one of the issues that we're we're seeking to address. Um, the second point you raised, I think, was around connecting Belfast with the Causeway Coast. Was that was that did I catch that right? Um, no, I, I think maybe professionalising the North Coast in a similar way in terms of hospitality as, as we're finding. Yeah. Belfast. Like I'm aware of executive chefs in, in Belfast who are attracting salaries of over sixty thousand pounds. You know, I think a lot of those school kids that Mike was talking about might be quite surprised to hear that. Um, and, and how do we do that on the North Coast, particularly where you know, hospitality actually is a big part of North tourism product yeah. here? I mean, we we met yesterday with Hats and with Netta uh, to discuss this this very issue. And um, so, what we've committed to do is to engage with our marketing. Uh, uh, agency to look to see, you know, how we might, you know, what what a, I suppose what a campaign might look like to to address those issues that you've addressed because 
I mean, there's an, an immediate issue here where people are finding it really difficult to recruit people back into the industry and you know, places are not opening seven days a week or providing food seven days a week because they, you know, they've lost the chefs and whatever. Um, I mean, a number of people have found it by you know, increasing their salaries to manage to attract people back. So I, mean, I, I, I think salaries probably increased around 16% across the board. Uh, so that, that will, will certainly help. But I, I think what we want to do is to showcase the very point that you made. You know, it's not always about, you know, front of house staff. It's not just about, you know, cleaning bedrooms and bartending and serving tables. There is a very, you know, a very lucrative career and, and very, uh, I suppose, fulfilling career that people can develop uh, in various elements of the hospitality sector. You know, um, you know, I know a guy who used to work for me in, in a waterfront hall who, who provided AV, who now runs a really successful business delivering uh, hybrid events at this point. And I think it's those sorts of people we want to capture and want to showcase and try to get that message across that, you know, it, it is a vibrant sector, it's a very fulfilling sector, and that there are career paths within it. So certainly this is something that hats are, are, are involved in. Um, I mean, one useful development, I think, is the, is the development of the, of the tourism hub, which brings together the six colleges under the leadership of Belfast Met. And the idea is if we can develop supporting, you know, we can develop, um, a, what's the word I'm looking for, um, courses uh, and such like that, those can be shared across each of the six colleges so that uh, we, we, we can we can sort of develop it once and, and, and deliver it more than and wide. What I committed to do yesterday uh, with, with the HATS and with NIDA was that we would undertake an industry survey to try to understand you know, what the skilled shortages are and try to look at that on a regional college basis to try to determine what sort of courses and what sorts of programs might be run in you know, Fermanagh versus the Northwest versus uh, the North Coast or uh, the Southern southern region. And we, we're also looking towards how can we possibly survey people who have left the industry and have decided not to come back to try to establish why you know why they have decided that for whatever reason having worked in the industry they no longer wish to do that although that's difficult to do because once people have you know sort of decided they're not going to be part of it it's, it's difficult to get them to talk about why they've left because they don't see any benefit in it for themselves but those are two things that we committed just yesterday to do with the industry itself to try and establish you know a certain approach that we could take and uh, we're, we're if we can possibly get that in advance of the meeting that, that Geraldine talked about, that would be very useful to inform the conversations that we've had with uh, the people within the skills directorate and DFE. Yeah, I think that's really important as well because you know other um, emerging and growing industries in Northern Ireland will be competing um, you know, for for the workforce that we have here, and you know. I, you know, you make a really valid point. I'm hearing it a lot as well that hospitality is struggling to bring back those people who have previously worked within, you know, the sector um, uh, prior to uh, uh, lockdown because they've moved on to other things. And I think, you know, particularly as a learning experience, a lot of industries will be looking at other ways of working, which might suit more people so that, you know, people maybe wouldn't have been able to go to Belfast in the past, whereas now they don't have to. So those jobs are going to be taken up in this area. So, you know, I, I would be keen to see an awful lot of the training and skills taken out 
outside of Belfast because, you know, whilst I talked about an example of an executive chef getting paid maybe 60 plus thousand a year, on the other end of the scale, some, you know, they're getting paid three pound an hour. Um, you know, so I, I think we need to review what hospitality is and what it means, particularly if it's a growing sector for, for, for tourism in Northern Ireland. So. Can I just add on the common travel area? Uh, I, I think what you raised is actually quite important. Um, the pet passport issue may seem a small issue, but in our recent research in Great Britain, 29% of Great Britain holidaymakers are dog owners. And you know, it's the biggest question in a family. It's not where we're going. It's what we do with the dog, whether we bring it or not. And uh, I think as, we just need to make things as hassle-free as we possibly can, you know. And I think we need to get back to the common travel area because everything's been overshadowed by COVID. But, you know, when, when we get back to a normal world again, I mean, 70 million British people take trips abroad, sorry, the British take 70 million trips abroad every year, and I don't think people have understood that the sort of hassle that being outside of the European Union will bring to some extent in terms of your passport, uh, the, the, the length of time you need in your passport, the fact that you can only stay 90 out of 180 days now on a visa, you'll be a longer queue now, you won't be the EU queue, phone roaming charges, not sure about, and I, and I just think now we know that 73% of people aren't aware of what the benefits of the common travel area are and we're going to start to push that an awful lot more so the less hassle factors there there the better i think if, if some arrangement could be found or pet passporting i think it would make uh, the whole island of ireland an awful lot more appealing yeah no uh, I agree wholeheartedly i think um you know the the benefits with the common travel area because it's not just people in northern ireland it's people in the republic of ireland and i think even post-covid it, it's more likely that people are going to be traveling across the islands rather than traveling abroad so you know you're right i think those opportunities would benefit not just you know this part of the island but right across all islands so yeah no it, it's a good solution um hopefully someone's listening to you um chair, chair just just to to add that um you know, we are alert to the issues raised by both the pet passport issue and the ID card issue and that we have flagged those both with um, the Home Office um, and also with Dara Stroke Defra um, because the implications of anything which have um, a negative impact on the ability to travel and tourism um, obviously raise concerns for us. So we have raised them and we will continue to raise them. Um, and uh, as you say, hopefully we can... We can find a way through. Thanks, Geraldine. Um, moving on to, can we bring John into the spotlight, please? Thank you, General. Thank you to everyone for your presentation and answers to the questions thus far. Um, here's my concern. While quite clearly the tourism industry is facing challenges and will continue to face challenges as we battle the COVID pandemic. Um, I am concerned that the response to the future is Belfast-centric, and I have listened to the, the presentation thus far, and I noted John's comments that there's going to be a particular focus on Barry, uh, but I, 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 am, I argue that focus is already there. I watched the video, uh, Eamon Holmes' video on Belfast and Strangford Lock. Uh, Strangford Lock is a beautiful place. Uh, Belfast is a great place, uh, but there's a world outside there. There's, there's a big piece of water in the middle of us called Loch Ness, and I don't see any promotional activity around the largest inland waterway on these islands. I suspect if that large piece of water was anywhere else on these islands, it would be promoted on a daily basis because it has fantastic facilities in terms of uh, tourism, activity tourism, ecotourism, fishing, 
food, etc. ticks all the boxes, but for whatever reason, it does not feature in the promotions of tourism available to us. So that's something I think that needs to be corrected. And it's, it's not in my constituency, but it's certainly close to me. There's nowhere more beautiful, in my opinion, on these islands than South Armagh. When you take a drive around the rural area of South Armagh, it is absolutely beautiful. And when you look at the ancient history associated uh, with that part of the world, then there's, a, there's another feature there. But uh, it appears to me that tourism, the tourist promotion is Belfast and North of Belfast. In fact, you might be safer concreting over Loch Ness and turning it into a coach park or <laughs> tourists going to Belfast. Maybe we'll be broaden out the tourism appeal. Um, well, maybe maybe I can speak first, and then uh, you can, you can follow up. Um, I mean, I would I, I wouldn't necessarily agree with the argument you're putting forward there, John. Um, um, if if you look at our ads, they I mean they cover a significant part of the whole of uh, the whole of the region. Um, and if you certainly if you go onto our website, you you will see that you can access a whole range of information around a whole host of experiences right right across the province. Um, now, the reality is, I think, for, for people, and Niall will probably better speak to this, that we, we look after the domestic market. In fact, last summer, what we found is that, you know, we, we, we were finding that over the course of the summer, like hotels in rural areas and self-care accommodation in rural areas were pretty much booked out, whilst the cities were you know, to a greater extent under pressure because people didn't want to be where there were large proportions of the population. Um, and when we run our campaigns, we typically run the campaign over six weeks. And over each of those weeks, we will pick out, uh, uh, you know, a specific county. So we will, you know, we will particularly hone in in Fermanagh one week, in Armagh uh, the, the following week, you know, in Derry, Londonderry the next week, the North Coast, um, and, and, and down and, and, and north down. So, I mean, when we are promoting, we make sure, like, the, despite what people might believe and what, what people's perceptions are, that we give significant visibility to, you know, to every part of the country and not, not, not just Belfast. And, and we have a stated objective, really, to ensure that we do what we can to spread the benefit. I mean, we, we ideally would like to see Every part of Northern getting the benefit, Northern Ireland getting the benefit. Now, what we are currently doing is we're working closely with councils, so and, and helping support councils to promote their own particular area. And we're working with councils to identify, I suppose, experience development opportunities, so that we can invest in those alongside the councils or other providers to make sure there are things to do. Because people aren't going to go somewhere because it looks nice. I mean, people want to engage. They need have things to do. They need to have, you know, experiences that they can engage in and take home and, and, and remember. I think part of our challenge, and I think we've had this conversation around Loch Ney, is, is accessibility to the loch in certain parts and just the range of experiences that might be available. And we're happy to work with the Loch Ney Partnership. We're happy to work with all of the councils to look to see what we can do to enhance and develop the experiences that access the loch. Because... All of the research would show to us that you know, access to the water is something which is becoming increasingly appealing to people. 
so you know, there is an opportunity there, but we need to make sure that the infrastructure is in place and the experiences are in place that we've got to promote uh, to, to make the, the best of those natural resources. I just add to what John said, thanks for the comment, and it's a very important one actually because I think it's important not, not to judge by, by one video, so to speak, but to give a sense of just in the last number of months, some of the activity that's been going on with our trade platforms. This is where we work with John's team to get the local industry to connect with the international uh, buyers. Uh, back in March, we had 38 tourism companies um, on our Embrace the Giant Spirit virtual expo with the US. So we had 1,400 travel agents from the US and Canada. I'm just seeing here, we had actually Loch Ness stories and we had Loch Ness tours on that. We're just looking around some of the other places, Glenshay, Country Farm and Mahara, Embrace Tours and Sperrins, O&M, Dark Sky Park and OMA. Uh, we had Visit Derry, uh, we had Galgorm Spa, we had the Gobbins, uh, a really good uh, spread. We had Visit Armagh on that, Hillsborough Castle and Gardens, Visit Morn, um, and, and four companies from Fermanagh. But just looking out at Ireland meets the Middle East uh, as well, we had a good spread, Aurea Kingdom Tours, Giant Tours in Ballycastle, Galgorm and Ballymena. And in virtue of the Meet Ireland 2021 in Italy as well, we were delighted to have Finn Lockman and Skill. And we had Visit Armagh at that one as well. And Visit Armagh also attended our North European workshop in February as well. So I think when you look at the spread of businesses, and this is a conversation we couldn't have had 10 years ago, what we've seen is a sort of a renaissance in small businesses and communities coming together to promote their region. And uh, you'll find that will go from strength to strength. But connecting people with buyers overseas is sometimes the first step, as opposed to you know what, what the video looks like on the front page. So I think we, we're, we're going from strength to strength. I think there's a good story to tell when you look at the regional spread uh, of what there is to offer here. And uh, I, I think we're in good shape in that respect. Well, I think it's also worth mentioning um, Meet the Buyer, you know, where we had three and a half thousand meetings, which we collectively arranged between 168 Northern Ireland experience providers from right across, uh, you know, all of the six counties. And um, I think nearly 200 businesses that you guys had connected us up with uh, in the overseas market. So, I mean, every part of, the, every part of Northern Ireland was, was heavily represented on that particular platform. And, and from a departmental perspective, just to say that, you know, um, from from a strategic and policy angle, certainly there is a desire to reach all parts of Northern Ireland. And I think that that has been reflected as well in the city and growth deals. And yes, there has been investment and funding coming forward for um, the, the, the Belfast region and for... Um, the Derry and Strabane District Council region, but there there is also money available for through the growth deals for uh, the Mid and South West partnership and for Causeway Coast and Glens, and certainly I mean one of the the tasks on 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 my desk is to to work with uh, industry and the the bodies to bring forward a sustainable regenerative tourism strategy. Um, stroke framework later later in this year, and that will certainly be um, a whole of Northern Ireland um, sort of document focusing on, particularly on on how we um, bring economic benefit through tourism to to the, the uh, as I say um, all all parts of the province. Just just on on the point of infrastructure. Um, I the first, John, he makes the relevant point around access to the lock. The different parts of the lock around it are open, are owned privately, but there is also significant access through public land, particularly in terms of council land. Does the, has the department 
uh, any strategy or strategy which would look at how we open up Loch Ness to its, to its potential. Not only the lock, but some of the, the, the points that now had mentioned, or some of the visitor attractions now had mentioned, are actually there because they're associated with Loch Ness. You know, that, that, that's the link in. So, so my, my surprise is, um, my continuing surprise is that the largest inland waterway in these islands is not exploited to its full potential. So some of that may be due to, we, we know that issues are, but is there a strategy from the department to help alleviate those issues? Um, not at present. But what I do plan to do as we begin work on the, as I say, the, the regenerative tourism strategy is I plan to establish um, a forum of relevant government departments and engagement arrangements with the councils. Um, and that is something which could be explored in that context. Um, and we're obviously I'd need to liaise closely in with TNI um, on that for, for their, their operational and delivery knowledge. Um, but yes, that, that is something that could be picked up as as, as we move forward, because we're, we're very keen to maximise and exploit all of the tourism assets we have. Um, and I'm conscious that, you know, because that would border on so many council districts, um, that it wouldn't necessarily fall within any one particular aspect of a growth deal, but it's something we can take forward. Okay, thank you. Thanks, John. Um, Stuart? Thank you, Chair. Uh, and, um much appreciate all the conversation that we've had this morning with regards to this. I have a, a long list and I don't expect answers on, on, on any of it. I have one or two very specific questions, but just listening to the discussion today, um, there is such a wide range of topics and subjects that need to be covered to deliver uh, tourism recovery for Northern Ireland in the widest sense of that. Whether it is with regard to air route support, uh, detailed support for specific sectors, um, how the uh, voucher scheme will be rolled out later this year. Today we should of course acknowledge is um, uh, a, an action day for the travel trade and we're just about to leave the committee and go to, a, uh, to, to meet with travel trade uh, protesters outside parliament buildings here. Um, there's a whole range of questions which need to be asked about support for the cruise ship industry. Last week we saw the first of the cruise ships return to Belfast. Very welcome. Um, what is the all-island strategy in relation to that? There seems to be a big opportunity for Northern Ireland to develop that trade because Dublin Port, for some reason, seems to have rejected that trade. Um, we have the outstanding issue of support for travel agents, and you would have thought that today, when they're protesting here, that the Executive Office statement wouldn't have just been a copy and print of yesterday's statement, which is, we're working on it. Um, we have a question around the whole issue of vaccination certificates, because in the rest of the United Kingdom, it will be done by an app or QR code to prove that you've been vaccinated. But in Northern Ireland, despite several written questions made to the Department of Health, the best I could get out of them was they were working on a paper certificate, but there are no details yet. Yet that is going to allow or provide for discrimination against UK travellers from Northern Ireland not being able to access the same travel arrangements as other citizens in the UK. Um, 
Mike has already raised the question about uh, passports and, and EU identity cards, and we don't need to go into that. But two very specific questions, because I don't expect you to answer uh, some or all of those uh, particular topics. But they are topics which need to be addressed, and which I think this committee perhaps needs to have a, a special meeting with you to go through. Mm -hmm. But two very specific questions. During the period of COVID, when, uh, when I appreciate a lot of your planning work was obviously going on, can I ask what training was being done to update and smarten and sharpen the whole of the travel industry, both in and out of the island of Ireland uh, and in specific sectors? And a question perhaps for Geraldine. Uh, we always find one group that seems to fall through the gaps in terms of support. And I've been contacted recently by a number of people who are tour guides. They are quite often blue badge tour guides, which means they have a high level of competence in delivering tourism guidance, uh, either to very specific groups of people or to large coach tours. Uh, and yet many of them seem to have fallen through the support network in terms of funding uh, to get them through the pandemic. So are there any pa plans to pick them up and indeed other groups, smaller groups like them, that seem to so far have fallen through uh, the gaps in the COVID support schemes? Thank you, Chair. Okay. Um Chair, if I, if I could maybe take the last point and then um, refer to John uh, about the, the and Niall about the, the, the training aspect. Um, you, you're aware that um, through the, the uh, in the recovery action plan, there is a commitment given to consider um, some further support um, on the basis of the proposals made in relation to the business events sector supply chain um, and um, the four um, tour operators. Um, the, you, there hasn't been a commitment given um, in re to, to look at that for, for tour guides, but I am aware that um, departments are beginning to think about um, those who have maybe fallen through the gaps, but also um, how, when we move into recovery, um, the executive might want to focus its spend and d direct its money. So against that background, um, there, there, there's a, an emerging feeling that the executive might need to make some strategic calls on where, where the focus goes so that um, anything beyond the commitments given in, in the, the Tourism Recovery Action Plan would need to be considered in, a, in a, an executive-wide context. Um, I could, so I, therefore, I, I can't say much more um, on that at the moment, but in, for, for um, certain aspects of, of the, the subsectors of tourism, the say events and um, coach tour operators, we are working with Tourism Ireland, Tourism Ireland, sorry, Tourism Northern Ireland to consider, um, you know, the sort of the um, the case um, for support in those contexts. Okay, Mildly positive. <laughs> so, if I, if I could just pick up on the on the, on the issue then of, um, I, I, I suppose about capacity development with Decker. Um, I, I will, I will get, I will, I will provide the committee with with exact details of this. But I mean, there were well over one hundred specific webinars that we delivered last year, where we had on average probably 60 to 70 participants on a whole wide range of subjects, basically aimed at building the capacity of, of the industry. Um, and that ranged from you know, where we carried out a very significant review of 
the market opportunity in the Republic of Ireland. Uh, Niall and his team, along with ourselves and Fonta Ireland, did likewise in GB. Uh, we did the same in the domestic marketplace. So we, we did a huge amount of work in terms of making people aware of the markets, the market trends, the market segments, the, uh, I suppose the motivating factors for each of those segments so people could understand that. Um, we ran courses on um, utilization of digital technology, of, of a, whole, a whole raft of things. And that was informed by surveys that we did. What we did was we went out, we asked the industry what they felt their needs were. They fed that back to us through survey uh, responses. And we and then in, in, in train or put in train a series of webinars to support that. And what we've done is we have basically captured all of those. Um, so that th those videos can be revisited uh, through tourismani.com, our website. And we also created a, you know, a whole host of toolkits that people can use and, and, and download um, as and when you know, they, they are uh, free to do so, uh, that, that will hopefully help meet their needs. And if you if you go visit uh, our, our website, tourismni.com, you will see it's been completely revamped. It's done on a sectoral basis, so there's specific advice for people in the accommodation sector, experience providers, um, a very, a very sort of comprehensive uh, support program, which is available through the website. So we we did take the opportunity when people, I suppose, uh, were when when things were down and they and they and they weren't busy to do what we possibly could to deliver that. And in fairness to the councils as well, you know, a, a lot of councils and particularly Mid Ulster Council, you know, ran weekly webinars and engaged with myself and Niall and invited other people along to participate in that. The council's did a super job as well, I think, in trying to you know, bring as much knowledge and expertise to bear to the sector as well. So there's been no shortage of capacity building, certainly at a management level within those organisations over the past sort of, uh, six to ten months. And I just might reinforce what John was saying by giving some international examples. I mean, we've never had as many enterprises in Northern Ireland connecting with the international marketplace. Uh, if it's both to learn from the research that we've done, but I use the Embrace the Giant Spirit Virtual Expo that we had in the US and Canada. We had 38 tourism companies connected to those 1,400 enterprises. Really, really worthwhile. But the other one worth mentioning is Ireland Meets the Middle East, where we established our operations 10 years ago. And typically, we would have had two or three companies maybe come out. But we had seven companies online this time. But they met with over 300 travel agents from the likes of UAE, Qatar, Kuwait, Saudi, and Turkey. And those are markets where there's a huge luxury component uh, and that will drive the initial recovery of tourism post-COVID. So I think we, we've never been better connected with the international marketplace thanks to the technology. If there's one trend that we have noticed probably around the globe is that given the turmoil that the industry has been in, a lot of people have decided to retire or leave the industry. And that's going to be a challenge for us as we get back into renewing old relationships that have been out there where corporate memory has been lost. And it just shows you while we've been able to do a certain amount online, when the time is right and we can do it, I mean, there will need to be a major, major movement back into the international marketplace to renew old friendships and relationships with companies where you know significant players and very loyal players to Northern Ireland and Ireland have decided to move on in their career. Thank you. Thank you, Chair. Sinead, you wanted to come in for... Yeah, I, I just wanted to come in. I, I'm coming back, actually, uh, to uh, remarks that the, the Chair made earlier on um, regarding the wide Atlantic way uh, and the global brands. Mm. Um, I mean... In, in terms of tourism, Northern Ireland, we are the poor relative in terms of uh, attractiveness to visitors here um, on the island of Ireland. And I 
cannot understand. And, and I, you know, I, nobody has ever explained to me why we don't sell this island as one island. And we, you know, we're, we're always giving mixed messages and confusing our traveller and our visitors. And, and, and to have a, a, a global brand that is overwhelmingly successful and recognised uh, all over the world, and for us to stop it, uh, you know, a couple of miles outside of the city of Derry, instead of extending it right up the North Antrim coast, is absolutely self-harm of the highest levels. And, you know, just talk about partition. This is partition and damage and borders that we're self-inflicting here um, on this island. And I, I think that we really need a wider conversation about this because it seems to me to be a political decision rather than a tourism decision because it absolutely makes no sense whatsoever to the industry and to all actors in the industry uh, and to all people on this very, very small island. So I think that's important to be said. And I think as well, to do justice to the briefing that you give us today, I think we need to have a, a more in-depth conversation uh, around a, a wide range of issues that, 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 that Stuart has outlined uh, earlier, because um, there are significant difficulties in this industry. And I think, you know, the ambition around the Good Friday Agreement and the various strands of that. One of the, the big, big winners that we thought that we would um, get was that marketing of the island um, uh, in the context of a, a one-place visit. People recognise um, the Ireland proposition, but they don't recognise it divided into two regionals. And our international gateway is through Dublin. So we can't stop it at the border uh, for any political reasons at all. So it just doesn't make sense to me at all. And then the other thing, the trade, the trade industry today, the, the travel industry, we're meeting them um, now at the gates of Stormont. Uh, and Geraldine talked about uh, the, the various supports and grants that were given to the industry and furlough, etc. There are certain elements of the trade that were the first to stop uh, and they're going to be the last to recover, and particularly with, with all of the mismatch of regulations uh, and that. Uh, we need more support uh, for, from um, the departmental um, position as well. I know that there was a grant from the executive office, but it hasn't actually uh, met the bank accounts of those in the, the, the travel industry, and that's a very important industry for us going forward for tourism uh, on the island. I'd like to stress that point of the, the, the brand, so to speak. I mean, there, there is a very clear defined brand strategy abroad, and the island of Ireland is the lead message that we have out there. Um, I think what the, the likes of just using the Wild Atlantic Way as an example, um, if, you, if you went back 10 or 15 years ago, the Wild Atlantic, Atlantic Way was made up of four different companies. There was Northwest Tourism, West Tourism, Midwest, Shannon, in other words, and um, Southwest Tourism. And really, it was an opportunity to bring all of those together into something that was more, um, I suppose, compelling uh, from an international perspective, uh, because the Ireland brand... Well, it, it's, it's great, it makes a lot of sense, and it, it certainly gives us great standout internationally. The challenge we have from consumers is that they love Ireland, and they, they recognise the, the, the key components of it, the friendliness of the people, landscape, the, the culture. But when you start to drill down under that, what would I do for a seven-day holiday? 
uh, they were never too sure. And that's where you know the, the regions come into play because they help to tell that story in a more granular um, form, so to speak. Now, I have no issue in relation to where they join up, so to speak. It's more about the experience that they offer on the ground. I think what will be more important from a tourism Ireland, I'm speaking from our perspective, really, will be that when the customer does get here, that there's no confusion on regulations, be it post-Brexit or post-COVID, uh, in relation to travelling between the jurisdictions. Because as you say, 80% of people who are coming in in normal times are entering via Dublin Airport. Um, so it's important that people can get around without any complexity in relation to regulations. But in terms of internationally, um, the message is very clear. It's very much Island of Ireland, and, and every bit uh, can get its share of that. Um, and, and hopefully they will, because regional dispersion of tourism is very important. Yeah, and I think just on the back of that, it's probably worth saying that the reason that we you know, put the effort into creating the Northern Ireland brand was because, you know, it, A, it allows Northern Ireland to side the Wild Atlantic Way, Ireland's ancient east, and Ireland's hidden heartlands in the international marketplace. But prior to that, we were a little bit like the Wild Atlantic Way. We had every council selling itself with its own brand, you know, all out trying to do their own thing. At least we now have got brand that we have 11 councils coalesced around um, who are all bought into this and, and allows us to sell the region as, a, as an entity, as a part of the island of Ireland, as opposed to what was previously a lot of council areas in two cities where there seemed to be no joined up sort of messaging around what the region had to offer. So I, mean, I think it's important that you know we ensure that the whole of the island of Ireland has got, you know, some sort of identity that, that fits into Nile Seal strategy in terms of the island of Ireland as a, as a single entity in the international marketplace. Yeah, no, thanks for that. And I guess, you know, my view around that would be that we it doesn't need to be an either or. There are these brands that can sit alongside each other, but having the Wild Atlantic Way, for example, and I'm speaking from a selfish constituency perspective here, into the Causeway Coastal route, adds to whatever other branding and is going on there as well and, and it's the same up the east coast as well so I, do, I just think there is a way we, that we can join these things up better to get to absolutely maximize the potential that we have in terms of our, our tourism offering particularly on the international stage um, we have to unfortunately vacate the room so it has been a really really useful briefing for us um, as other members have indicated that there are an awful lot of issues that have been teased out in the course of the, the discussions that probably we want to revisit and we will likely have a list of actions to agree at some point as well from the briefings but it has been very useful to us and sure we'll have you back in at some point over the next few months to talk about the tourism recovery plan in a wee bit more detail as well but for this morning thank you very much Thank you. Thank you very much, Chair. Yep. Chair, if we seek uh, members' agreement to um, look at Chair's business matters arising in correspondence via email. Okay, thank you. Okay, uh, and we are postponing our we're postponing, Yes, we're postponing the raise briefing yeah. on university funding. We, we slot that in again yeah. um, at a later date. Okay, and so if we move on to any other business, and John has just sent a message saying he wants to raise a point under any other business. So that is item number 11. Um, John, go ahead. Sure. There was a very often announcement yesterday from Queen's Austin University about a £485 payment to uh, students on lower income backgrounds. I assume that money's coming out of the executive funding in regards to student hardship funds, though I've asked a question of the Minister and we'll find that out. 
but can we on the back of that write to the current economy minister and ask him has he any plans to include those students who were excluded from the last COVID payments yeah. i.e. Uh, those studying full time in further education colleges or not studying degree level and uh, students from here studying elsewhere yeah. we'll do that yeah. 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 ok members are agreed with that agreed so moving on then, item number 12 is the date, time and place of the next meeting, which is next Wednesday morning in room 30. And just to remind members that there is an informal meeting tomorrow morning with academics from University of Exeter to discuss their report on energy governance. So a copy of that report can be found along with the meeting request, which you've so, received yeah, via email. It's attached to the, to the meeting. Okay, so that's us for this morning. Thank you. Thank you. Assembly, committee room 29. This is the Northern Ireland Assembly Committee Room 29. This 